really like the, the, the lyrics of that song and I almost like as much the fact that when you get to the chorus bit and the males and the females separate, of course, the, me the females take it higher and the males take it lower, then all of a sudden there's a bit where we're both to try and mesh and no one quite knows which tone that should be in. I wonder this morning as you sit here, after the week that you've had, do you feel like you're part of a people that is God's own possession? Do you feel like that this morning? Have you experienced a week of victory where you felt God's presence and the joy of his grace or has this been a week where you feel that all you can think of is some frustration and failure? What does it mean? What does it look like to be a people that are God's own possession? What imagery does that bring to your mind? Well, as I reflected on that, that's why I chose the song that we've just sang, because I hope that that song, which is again another prayerful song, is one that as we go through this concept of being a people of God's own possession, will be a bit more meaningful by the end of this. So as per norm, there are three points. They do all begin with the same letter. So be rejoicing in that, if nothing else this morning. And the first of these is God's possession. Now, I want you to put your hand up if you have possessions. I'm looking around for those that don't put their hand up because the reality is we all have possessions. We all have stuff that we like. It could be for the older folks, your car. Some folk love their cars. Or your phone. Some people love their phone. Or trainers, for some reason, people love trainers. Or houses. Houses are quite important. It's great when they're waterproof. I'm currently battling with a mouse. I can't catch it. I'm beginning to wonder now if I'm imagining it or not. I've attacked phantom mice now with brushes on more occasions than I should have. Or even tractors. We've got some farmers here. I'm sure you love your tractors as well. They are very handy things. Apparently, I wouldn't know, but they must be otherwise if I were to be there. We have things that we love, possessions that we value. And for all of us, that will be slightly different things. For some, it would be the car. For others, it might be the fact that there's a new FIFA game out. I don't know if there is or if there isn't, but they generally release them every year. And some people would value that. We all have different things that we value. So when you read these verses and it says the people of God's own possession, what, what, what do we think straight away? Does, it, does that communicate value to you? And I wonder, because maybe this is how my mind works, and maybe yours isn't quite like this, but we all have possessions that we aren't so keen on as well, don't we? Things that we wouldn't actually be bothered if they broke or disappeared. In fact, some you might have actually tried to break or make disappear. You know, the Christmas presents that you open and you think, this is a test of my acting skills. Like, what on earth am I going to do with this? I'm sure we've all got a jumper that we've received at Christmas that's never, ever going to be worn. Or if it has been worn, it's left a scar. Yeah? We've got gifts that are random and actually we just think, I would rather be rid of this. And we've got legacy things as well, things that are old and tattered and not much use anymore. 
I would think, who here has a pair of old slippers at the back of their cupboard? Yeah. They, they, they now operate as an air freshener for your clothes. <laughs> but we have possessions like the tatty old slippers. That actually, they are our possessions, but we wouldn't actually be too bothered if we had them or not, if we lost them or not. So does possession communicate value? Not necessarily. So we could hear something like these verses and we could think, well, I am the tatty old slipper at the back of the cupboard. A concession in God's kingdom, but not of much worth. God wouldn't really miss me if I wasn't there. But that's a lie. And we know that it's a lie because this book, this very book, 1 Peter, tells us it's a lie. Now I want to unpack how it's a lie with an illustration. Now this might work or it might not work. I'm hoping it does work. Okay? Say as you were leaving church this morning, some kind soul was at the door and they were handing out everyone 10 grand. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Now, you take your 10 grand and you go down to Ellen and to one of the shops that you might like and if there's not a shop there that you like, imagine there is. Okay? And in that shop you have the choice between let's go, let's bring out the tight old slippers again. You've got the tight old slippers on one side. By the way, they're, they're 10 grand. Right? It's an expensive shop. It's Ellen after all. And then on the other side, you have something that you really want. Something quite pricey that you really want. Now, I don't know what that's going to be in everyone's cases. Maybe it's a new computer. Or a new car. Or an extension to the house. Yes, that fits in this shop too. Okay? Which would you pay the 10 grand for? I would like to think it would be for the thing that you wanted. For the thing that when you look at had value. Yeah? We pay for things that we want, that have value to us. I would like to think we don't borrow them from the shops. We pay for them. And they have value because we personally paid for them, yeah? Whether that be our cars, whether that be something that we've paid, saved up for with our pocket money, whether it is a device, whether it's clothes. Now, I don't get the point of paying for clothes. I just get them at Christmas, but other people do. But we pay for these things. And for us, generally what gives something value when it comes to possession is the fact that we've coughed up cash for it, yeah? Sometimes we get gifts and we really appreciate gifts as well, and that's awesome. But for the most part, it's things that we ourselves have chosen to get and we've gone out and we've paid money for them, yeah? So they have value because we paid for them. True? Logical? Good, my illustration is working, thank goodness. But, and here's how I know that if you think you're the tattie old slipper, it's a lie. God didn't pay simple money for you. He didn't. And he didn't pay simple money for me, no. He paid something far, 
more precious than that. In chapter 1 of this book, in verses 18 and 19, it says, Knowing that you were ransomed from the futile ways inherited from your forefathers, thanks to them, not with perishable things such as silver or gold or money, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. How do you know that you're valued by God this morning and that you are not the tattooed slipper that's a concession at the back of the cupboard? You are valued because God paid for you with the ransom of his own son. It wasn't even the money that we pay for things and it gives them values. No, it was something far more precious, something we wouldn't be willing to pay or I would hope we wouldn't be willing to pay to gain something. God sent his son and Jesus willingly laid down his life as a ransom for us. That is how valued you are. That is how loved you are this morning. As I said, I don't know what kind of week you've had, but what I do know is this, that you are a person of God's own possession. You belong to that category because God has paid the ransom. And it wasn't the silver and gold. And in some ways, in, in, in how our minds work, it would, we would maybe understand it better if it was. If, for instance, we had a sinner's redemption price. So let's say, for instance... I don't know, I'm going to be careful who I name here. And if I name you, it's not because I'm making any judgments. But let's say, for instance, my sin, I was, it cost a million pounds to redeem me. Well, I would think, oh, I'd be really thankful if somebody paid a million pounds to save me. Or if it was Jonas, it would be, I don't know, let's go for five billion or something. And you would be really thankful because you understand the cost that was paid so that you could get out of your sin. But let's understand, Jesus Christ is far more precious than that. The cost was greater than all the money in this world. That is how loved we are. And that is how we know we are a people of God's own possession. It doesn't actually matter about the success of our weeks. Or how successful this coming week is going to be. We want them to be successful and we want to glorify God and quite rightly so. But what matters and what makes us part of God's people, that people of his own possession, is this act of Jesus Christ who paid that ransom for us. We just sang, Lord you have my heart, I will search for yours. We probably sang that without flinching. I truly hope for all of us those words echo from truth. So we are a people of God's own possession. And the second thing is what God's desire is. You know, when we have possessions, we tend to say, that's mine. You're not having it. We start that when we're about three, and I think we maybe finish it when we're 93. Because let's face it, if you have your favourite thing and somebody else is about to try it, you still get that gut instinct where you want to snatch it back, don't you? So if it's your car, 
and you see, I don't know, let's go for your, an 18-year-old about to get behind the wheel, you want to get them out of there. If it's your house and you see a three-year-old with a hammer, you're going to take it off them pretty quickly. We still have that. That's mine. And you know what? God says over each and every one of us this morning, they are mine. He's paid that price to make that claim. But not merely as in, you're all objects. No. This verse says we are a people of God's own possession. A people. God has paid the price for people. That's all of us. No matter how still you're sitting there this morning, you're still a person. No matter how interested you're looking or not, you're still a person. We are all still people. And God lays that claim over people. So therefore, people. There ought to be some sort of response from us as the people. True? What does it mean for us to respond to the biblical truth that we are a people of God's own possession? The first thing I want to say is we have to remember that it's God who says that we are his. Tells us in his Bible that he is a jealous God. Now when I say that you might think, oh, that's not a good thing to be. Who here's experienced jealousy? Come on. Alright, put your hand down. Who here's experienced jealousy when somebody else tries to tamper with their favourite possession? Yep, the hand should go back up again. Jealousy needn't always be negative. Deeply rooted in, in, in the, the, the concept of jealousy is a desire to be with somebody. True? You're not jealous to be with somebody if they're spending time with someone else. If you don't actually want to be around that person, you'll be thinking, thank goodness, they've taken them off my hands for a wee while. True? At the root of jealousy is this desire to be with generally a person. And I'm going to drop the object thing because let's focus on people. You desire to be with somebody and that's why there is this feeling of jealousy. You desire a relationship with that person, yeah? And for some reason or another you don't feel that that is being fulfilled. And for us this brings jealousy which it can be quite a negative emotion. But for God, it doesn't spill over into that. For us, I don't know what you do where you make the, the strange mixed tapes or whatever it might have been back in the day. But God doesn't fall into the, the, the whole negative element of jealousy that we, that we can often find ourselves falling into. But what it does tell us is that there's a desire from God to be with his people. And we can actually see that through this whole thing of Jesus Christ. If God wasn't bothered that people weren't in relationship with him, he wouldn't have acted. The fact that he paid such a huge cost to ransom people from their sins tells us very clearly that God is bothered. That God does want a relationship with people. And more than that, he was willing to pay a cost that no one else would have to achieve that. So when God lays that claim over us that we are his... It brings with us too the truth that he is a jealous God. That he has that desire to be in a relationship with us. The truth is that this morning God is jealous for you. 
and for me to have that fellowship with us because that is what each and every one of us is created for. To walk with our creator. So I wonder, I already asked the question, what is our response as these people to the truth that we are God's own possession? What is our response to this? So often our response to God is to almost try and maintain a distance. And we have different rationale behind that. Sometimes it's because of guilt. Sometimes it's because of fear. Sometimes it's actually because of distraction or disinterest. But to respond to verses such as these, we need to move past these things. God wants to walk in relationship with each and every one of us. To have a deep relationship with us. How is that going for us? And what is God saying this morning? You know, it struck me, and I put a question mark over this book, because I wasn't sure if I was going to say it, but hey, I'm going to. If God has paid such a great price to ransom us from our sin and bring us back to him, what does it say about our appreciation of that if we treat God with disinterest? If we maintain our distance from him? In a way, we are actually pouring scorn on the blood of Jesus Christ. And I'm saying that not to create some feeling of guilt. I'm saying it because simply it is true. That was the price that was paid. And because that was the transaction, if we turn and treat God just as an afterthought, or something we do on Sundays, we are trampling on that. God has a desire for each and every one of us. And he is a jealous God. And that in its own way should be a reassurance to each and every one of us. God is not saying, oh that person, I didn't want them near me. How did they get in this kingdom? Who left the back door open? It's not the case. God is jealous for us. He wants that relationship to deepen and to grow. So, people, we are God's possession. We are God's desire. But there is also God's command. You will have heard the saying, every person has a God, yeah? Whether it is a God of the Bible or whether it is something else. But every person has a God, something that does actually possess them. Something that becomes the first priority. Something that we will use to define ourselves. Something that we will use to draw value from. We all have a God. And it's different for different people. And I do believe it can literally be anything. For some people it's money. Money is the be-all and end-all. It's what makes them tick. 
For others, it could be the possessions that money can buy. These become the definition, keeping up with the Joneses, as the saying goes. The side effects of that can be struggles with debt and money management and so on and so forth. It could be fashion. I don't know why, but it could be. Music. Football teams. Work. Our intelligence. It can even be good things. If, for instance, now I'm a pastor. Surprise if you didn't know. But I get this little title at the start of my name. Reverend. And occasionally I get letters through with that. Now that's something I try not to use. And there are a multitude of different reasons of that. But supposing as a pastor, who here would think being a pastor is not a good thing for a person to do? That's quite reassuring that nobody's put their hand up. But we would think that this is a good choice for somebody to go down, yeah? But supposing this becomes the thing in which somebody draws their self-esteem from, their identity from, this can very easily happen. Is it still a good thing? Or has it begun to actually usurp the truth that that person is first and foremost a child of God? And not a pastor. That's what one of their functions is as a child of God. And the same could be true for charity work. The same could be true for working for doing all the good deeds we can think of. We have to be careful as to that which we allow to define us, that which we begin to gain value from. Scripture again and again talks about God being our first love. That we are to love God with all our heart, our soul, with everything within us. That we have to have no gods before him. And the burning question then is, is that the case? This morning as we reminded as a people of God's own possession that he is jealous for us, is there other things that actually are the things that are possessing us? The things which define us. The things which are our first priority. And it's not God. He's somewhere on that list. But he's not at the top of it. What defines us? And what is giving us value? We can be so easily distracted and consumed by things and allow them to define us. We live in a world that is chaotic with bombardment. All these different things which can define us. Advertisers hire psychologists and stuff so that they can work out how to make something appealing to mass markets. We are surrounded by all of this, trying to live and function faithfully as Christians in a world which is so alien to that. Where is God on your list this morning? The reality is, we all know he should be first. 
the experience sometimes is that that's not the case. That can happen for a multitude of different reasons. But where is he on that list? I went to see uh, Risen. I was about to say Frozen there. But we went to see R- R- Risen last Saturday, and thank you again, Ashley, for organising that. And I really enjoyed that film. I would hope that those here who went to see it quite enjoyed it. And I remember one of the scenes that struck me was about where there's now the, the, the plot is there's a Roman soldier who's investigating this claim that Jesus Christ has risen from the dead, and at one point he gets Barnabas. And he arrests Barnabas and he interrogates Barnabas. And I know this isn't actually in the Bible narrative, but this is a this is a this is a film. So and what really struck me was, uh, as he got more and more frustrated with Barnabas, one of the things he says to Barnabas is, I can crucify you, you know. And Barnabas wasn't bothered by that. Not one bit. And he wasn't bothered by that because he'd witnessed the resurrection. And everything else that had a hold over him paled in insignificance in comparison to that. So it turned out that even death itself wasn't a good enough threat to make this man toe the line that was expected of him. One of the big dangers when we have things above God is that sometimes the cost is too high to be faithful to him. That thing that's above him, if it's threatened, we will fold. We will toe the line that the world or the pressures are demanding of us. Now we don't have the luxury of having experienced firsthand Jesus Christ rising from the dead. And Jesus acknowledged that for us it would be trickier. But good now this is going to be cheesy, but it's just popped into my head, so I'm going with it. Good heart keeping, I'm sorry, means that we have to have a look in there and find out what's in what's place. Because the reality is, if there are things above God, they will hinder us. And there is an enemy that is watching us. He knows these buttons, and he will press them. The good news as it is a God who is jealous for you this morning. So if you have a little look in your heart, and yes, I'm thinking of it like a league table because I like football. I would hope God is at least in the Premier League. But what about? Be reassured, because that God that is jealous for you hasn't turned away, but continues to call us toward him. And he will never ever turn away either. In a short while we're going to turn and we're going to share communion together. A meal which reminds us of the price that was paid, that ransom that was paid. God didn't pay that price to have a wee crack at calling us to him and then just kind of giving up. He paid that price because he's all in. He's jealous for us. So this morning, as you take communion and know that, know that he is jealous for you. 
And wherever he is on your league table, ask him to help you move him to the top. That's where he ought to be. That's where he desires to be. And that's where it's best for us, for God to be as well. God values you. And you're not the slipper at the back. You are the one that he would pay more than any of us would ever pay for anything. He paid for us with his own son. For God so loves the world that he gave his one and only son. That whosoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You're loved. You're valued. And as we share communion together, I truly hope that sinks deep into all our hearts. I'm going to invite the band back up now. We're going to sing as we prepare for communion a song which just oozes the ministry and life of Jesus Christ. We're going to stand and we're going to sing together the servant king from heaven.